Good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship, and I am so glad to be with you today. Um, today, we are continuing on in our series entitled Sent, and the idea behind that is simply this, that when we are sent into the world, God is, uh, that we are sent people. In fact, inside your bulletin, you will find an outline of where we are headed today, and um, we are talking about um, Paul's journeys. And along the way, we're also going to find out some journeys of some people in our own congregation here and how they are being sent right to where God has them. So uh, at the top of the outline on point one, I just want to mention that we are sent people. Here's what Jesus said. He said, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. He said that about his disciples. And then as it happened in Acts 13, the Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. And so after fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. The book of Acts is the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And these were uh, people who had given their lives to the Lord and were filled with the Holy Spirit. And this was how the Holy Spirit was sending them out into the world. And so when we go through all of this, I want you to know that um, this week, by the way, I've got a uh, an iPad and a monitor up here because I drew a map last week and I was mocked relentlessly. So today we got real maps. Okay. So no angry emails. Okay. Anyway, uh, but the, <laughs> but what happened was I was talking about how Paul and Barnabas were sent out from Antioch. We're talking this city, Antioch, right here at the uh, today it'd be in modern day Turkey, how they went to the island of Cyprus. We talked about it last week. Today we're talking about how they sailed across and then they had a hundred mile walk from the coast from Perga up to Pisidian Antioch. And today we'll talk about their ministry here in what in the Bible is known as Galatia. And if you ever wondered when Paul wrote to the Galatians, who is he writing to? These folks that we're talking about today because they planted some churches there. Now, I wanted to do this, and I'm using technology here. My staff always laughs at me. It's like, oh, my goodness, why are you doing this? Okay. Um, but I wanted to show you something because this was a cool app that if you've never seen it, it's called TripLine. If you finish a trip, you can, when you return or as you're going through the trip, you can put little pins down wherever you go, and then you can even have include pictures and little descriptions of things. So when you go home, you can kind of show people where you went. So I thought it would be fun to go on TripLine and put Paul's journey on there on top of Google Maps. And this is what this does, and so that's what you're seeing. Only somebody already did it. It was a guy named Hunter 11. So Hunter 11, we're grateful, okay? Um, so I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. But here was something that I want you to understand that is terribly important. And I'm going to zoom in just a little bit here where you can see, uh, as I zoom in where we started out, Antioch. Well, today, when you talk about the city of Antioch, it's not called Antioch anymore. It's called Antakya, and it's in southern Turkey, but it's the same place. And when Paul traveled down to the seacoast, this is the way they would have gone. What's also interesting is, if you keep going down a little bit more here, what you'll find is, is there's a city called Homs. Let me zoom in so you can see the name there a little bit. That's the city of Homs. It's 100 miles from Antioch. If you're wondering why I'm pointing that out is because the United States and Great Britain and France launched some missiles at that location just the other day and destroyed some warehouses full of nerve gas that the president of Syria has been using to kill some of his own people. Right? Here. Okay, when I talk about 
these stories from the Bible, I don't want you to ever be worried that the Bible isn't true. We talk about here, the Bible's our guide in all matters of faith and practice, and people go, oh, I don't know if the Bible's true. It's all made up. It doesn't even have real people in real places. Oh, yeah, it does. Oh, yeah, it does. In fact, the places that we're going to look at today, one of them in the Bible is called Iconium. It's the place labeled as number 11 here. It's called Iconium. In Bible times, it's called Konya today. Same place. Same place. Ruins are still there. Paul and Barnabas, real people, sharing a real gospel about a real Jesus who died on a real cross to pay the penalty for my real sins, and he really rose on the third day and conquered death and sin once and for all. Amen. Yeah, and this is the good news that Paul and Barnabas trekked all around. This is a, that was a 100-mile walk uphill from the coast, by the way. It's up in the mountains. And that's what's great about seeing this on Google Maps. So if you wonder what I do with my free time now, you know. Anyway, I just thought you'd think that was cool. And I hope you understand, we need to be praying for this situation in Syria. This is a powder keg. You're going to see today, that area was a powder keg. When Paul and Barnabas went there, there were life-threatening situations. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you that we have good news today, and we have your word on how Paul and Barnabas traveled and shared the good news wherever they went. They saw themselves as disciples of yours, Jesus, sent by you, just as the Father sent you into the world. You sent them into the world, and they went. God, I just pray that you will help us embrace that same opportunity where we are. Lord, I do pray for our president. I pray for all the players and what's going on in Syria right now. Lord, this is a very dangerous situation. Many, a number of people have already died. And Lord, this could escalate. And I pray that peace, a peaceful solution will be found. And those chemical weapons will never be used again. And so, Father, we, we just lift up our modern world. We lift up our lives to you. We ask that you hear our prayers. And that you speak to us today words of encouragement. In the name of Jesus, amen. So today, getting back to our regular map here, we're going to continue on with the journey. Last week, you can get online and see about the journey when it went to the, over here to Cyprus. Uh, but today, we're talking about this part of the map. So that brings us to point two. Sent people are going to face opposition. I would be lying to you if I told you that, hey, when you go out and share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, everybody's going to come hug your neck and tell you thank you. Some will, and you'll see that today. Others will not. Because to come to Jesus means I've got to repent of my sins, which means I have to acknowledge I'm a sinner, which means if I'm going to stop sinning and depend on the Lord, I'm going to have to change. And some people don't want to do that. Here's how it worked out in Paul and Barnabas' journey. Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day they went to the synagogue for services. This was Paul's custom, and this would have been a a major center, by the way, that's besitting Antioch. There were major roads here. This would have been a strategic city, and there would have been a large Jewish population there. And Paul and Barnabas would always go to the synagogue first. And Paul always wanted to give uh, the Jews the first chance to hear the gospel because they'd already been prepared with their study of the Old Testament. They knew a Messiah was coming. He was going to tell them Jesus is the Messiah. It was also a ready-made place. Uh, he was a rabbi. 
And traveling rabbis were always given a chance to speak, and so it was a ready-made place to present the gospel. If they wouldn't listen, then he carried on to the Gentiles, but he always gave them first dibs. So on the Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue for services after the usual readings from the books of Moses and the prophets. Those in charge of the service sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, then come and give it. So Paul stood, lifted his hand to, keep, to quiet them, and he started speaking. Men of Israel, he said to you, men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. And there's a little ellipsis there in, in your handout because he went into a wonderful short explanation where he summarized pretty much how God's covenant with the Jewish people throughout the Old Testament. And then he got to the place where Jesus is the fulfillment of that covenant. We're here to proclaim to you that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness of your sins. And everyone who believes in him is declared right with God, something the law of Moses could never do. And as Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. And the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous, and so they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. This is going to happen to us. I mean, these were people, they were jealous of Paul and everything he was preaching, and so they started arguing against him. I mean, first of all, he was telling them they didn't have to, they could never earn their own salvation through their own efforts, that they had to rely on Jesus, and that didn't sit well. There's a note there, opposition may come from people who are unwilling to change. Some of us were like that. Praise God that people didn't give up on us. Some of us were stubborn and unwilling to change. Jesus said, for the hearts of these people are hardened. Their ears cannot hear. They've closed their eyes. Their eyes cannot see. Their ears cannot hear. And their hearts cannot understand. They cannot turn to me and let me heal them. They're just too stubborn. Just won't change. And it's kind of like that story of the woman her husband had to have a very delicate heart surgery and everything went well but he was going to need some time to heal and been in the hospital and the doctor decided to send him home and he pulled his wife in and he said hey look we were very fortunate this surgery went so well and the sutures we put in place are still there but we're going to even have we're going to treat him with kid gloves and the ambulance home when he's home he doesn't need to be upset he doesn't need to have anything that disturbs him. I mean, make his favorite foods for him. Don't get in an argument with him. If he needs you to rub his feet, rub his feet. Whatever he needs you to do, just do that for the next three weeks, and he'll be fine. And she goes, well, what happens if I don't? She goes, well, if he gets upset or other things like this, and you guys get in a big row or something like this, he could tear those sutures. He could die. And so she said, okay. And so she got in the car, and they were in the, riding in the ambulance together on the way home. And, and the husband said, well, what did the doctor talk to you about? And he, she said, oh, you're going to die. Um, <laughs> yeah, not willing to change, okay? Some of you laughed way too hard at that. Okay, anyway. Uh, <laughs> but this is what happens. The gospel is going to cause division. I wish I could tell you everybody's going to embrace it. They won't. It's going to cause division. Paul wrote this later. I'm the same Paul we're talking about here. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God, but this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we're a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we're a life-giving perfume. When the Romans conquered people, they would bring their 
the conquered troops through town in a procession with their hands and feet shackled, or at least their hands shackled, so they walked through town. They would burn incense to the gods. It was sweet-smelling when the Romans came in to the conquerors, but to the people who were led in shackles, this was the smell of the rest of your life in slavery. Doom. Paul says that's the way it is when you proclaim the gospel because we have to proclaim that we are sinners and in and of ourselves, none of us are good enough to stand before a holy God and judgment is coming after we die. And some people cannot hear that. Even though God has opened a door wide open to all who come to him through Christ. To those who are ready to get rid of their sin and confess it, man, the gospel is the sweetest message ever. To others, scent of doom. Here's a life application. Opposition can lead us in new and better directions. When the people wouldn't let Paul talk and they kept interrupting him and cutting him off and everything else, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, this is continuing on in Acts 13, it was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews, but since you rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we're going to offer it to the Gentiles. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I've made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad, and they thanked the Lord for his message. And all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. So the Lord's message spread throughout that region, and then the Jews stirred up influential religious women and the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. So they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium. And the believers were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. So back to our map for a second. They'd done this 100-mile uphill hike, tried it out in Antioch. The Gentiles believed, but very few of the Jews. They got run out of town, so they went on to Iconium. The same exact thing happened in Iconium. A number of people believed, but they got run out of town again. And so now we're jumping over to Lystra when you turn your page to point three. And there another interesting thing happened. Some of the people they presented presented the gospel to just misunderstood While they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He'd been that way from birth, so he'd never walked, and he was sitting and listening as Paul preached. Looking straight at him, Paul realized he had faith to be healed. So Paul called to him in a loud voice, Stand up! And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, These men are gods in human form! And they decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus, and Paul must be Hermes, since he was the chief speaker. Now the temple of Zeus was located just outside of town, and so the priests of the temple and the crowd brought bulls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates, and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. Now what you need to know is there was a local legend that those two gods, Zeus and Hermes, had visited Lystra in the past, they weren't, they, they'd come traveling disguised as ordinary people, and when they'd offer, they'd ask for people to give them lodging, no one offered them anything, except one old couple. They asked for lodging for the night. So the next morning, after they'd spent the night there, they came out and revealed who they were, and they destroyed the rest of the city and just spared the house of the old couple and blessed them. The people who believed that was true weren't going to let that happen again. So that's why they were running with bulls and flowers and wanting to offer sacrifices. 
I mean, they completely misunderstood. They saw a great miracle, but they didn't know what was going on. Here's what happened. But when Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay, and they ran out among the people shouting, Friends, friends, why are you doing this? We're merely human beings just like you. We've come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all the nations to go on their own ways, but he never left them out without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. But even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. And then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. And then they stoned Paul and dragged him out of town, thinking he was dead. So when they first got there, they did this miracle, and people misunderstood, and they thought this was that they were Zeus and Hermes. I mean, people can misunderstand us too, by the way. This is why it's so important we have a testimony ready and we understand what the Bible says. I mean, it's like the old story of the man who goes to work every day and wants to live out his faith. And one day a coworker comes to him and says, hey, I've watched you for a while. There's just something different about you. Are you a vegetarian? I mean, how do we know what they're going to attribute our lifestyle to? I mean, I love the T-shirt that says, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. But this story, as well as a whole bunch of others in the Bible, tell us why it's necessary to use words. Even though there was a mighty miracle, they didn't get it. And even if you and I are kind to people, they'll understand our kindness, but they may not attribute it to Jesus. Let's be ready to tell them. Paul and Barnabas ran out, tore their clothes. No, 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 no. There's a life application in your outline there. The goal of our ministry is to bring glory to God, not ourselves. They didn't want the people worshiping them. They want them worshiping Jesus. It's not about me. It's about him. It's not about you. It's about him. Can we say amen to that? Yeah. John the Baptist, some of his disciples were saying, hey, John, you, know, you were baptizing everybody. Everybody was coming to you. Now everybody's running, going over to Jesus. What do you think of that? John the Baptist said, well... Jesus must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. That's true. It's true for you and me, too. We surrender our lives to Christ. He is the one worthy of our praise, not you and me. We are glad that he has saved us, and we are glad he uses us. Don't get me wrong. But Paul and Barnabas said, no, he gets all the glory. Don't worship us. It's also important to note as you saw on the way that little paragraph in there, popular opinion can change quickly. Anybody else notice that? Yeah, Jesus noticed it. John 2, because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many people began to trust in him, but Jesus didn't trust them because he knew human nature. No one needed to tell Jesus what mankind is really like. Remember on Palm Sunday, he rides in, Throngs of people putting palm branches down, saying, blessed, he, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Good Friday, same people are shouting, crucify. I just want us to know this, because when we share the gospel in the real world, some people are going to embrace it with glad hearts. Other people want to run you out of town. Some people are just going to misunderstand you 
no matter how kind you try to be. I don't want you to take just my word for it. Ed Gannon is one of our members at Pike Road, and he sat down in front of a video camera and told us about a ministry that God's called him to, where he's faced both opposition and misunderstanding. So I've done mission trips in 26 countries, dozens of ministries, and I've, I've kind of been the jack of all trade of missions. And so I asked God to, to please narrow my focus the last third of my life and give me a mission that I could solely work on. And I prayed for that about a year. And that's when Dr. Phillips came to me and said, I got this idea about a mobile unit for uh, showing women their sonograms to keep them from aborting their babies. 87% of the women who see their baby on ultrasound keep it. And we're having that exact same percentage rate on our unit. So we park in front of the abortion clinic on Friday mornings on abortion day, which is a rough environment. We park around town. We park at uh, different universities. But um, we've saved over 100 babies that women were absolutely going to abort and hundreds of babies where the women were planning on aborting. So... This is my mission, I, it's, and I can't believe I get to do it. You know, God has allowed me to be a part of this, and uh, we're starting to now see one, one-and-a-half-year-old babies that, that women came on our unit, and they're bringing their children back by to visit us now. Of course, you know, obviously the, the pro-abortion people, you know, scream and yell at us, and, and uh, uh, one of the most common things I hear is, uh, you don't have a uterus, so you don't have an opinion. <laughs> and I said, well, I have an opinion about children dying. And, uh, but it, I, we even get some heat from the Christian community. I've had a pastor tell me that these poor, un, underserved women don't need any more children, and abortion's a better option. So we get misunderstood, but I think we're misunderstood because their thinking is, is muddled. Chopped up baby signs and yelling at women is not part of what we do at all. And we, we take a biblical model of like the woman at the well and the Samaritan or the woman caught in adultery, Christ responded with them with love, grace, and mercy. So uh, that's another thing we get misunderstood about. It's like we're not tunnel vision on the baby. We want to save the baby, but the way we do that is we, we save the woman. We go, we chase after the woman. We want to help her. And by saving the woman, and I mean saving her from what she thinks is a desperate situation, is uh, we can save the baby. But once she changes her mind and wants to keep her baby, we don't just pat them out, pat them on the back, and say where to go. We follow them through, you know, and uh, we want to get them the help they need. That's what the local crisis pregnancy centers we work in partnership with. The gospel is given out on the bus to every woman that comes on it, and whether she's post-abort or pre-abort, uh, or whether she decides to go through with it or not. Every woman that comes on our bus gets the gospel and a Bible. I asked God, what's my assignment? And he graciously answered me. Yeah, you can applaud that. Now look, our next point on your outline is, when the going gets tough, sent people keep going. I mean, Ed could tell you, I mean, he's had to endure all kinds of abuse and people saying all kinds of mean and hurtful things at him and to him. I said, John, look, I mean, I'm, I want to help these women. I want to help these children. I want to share God's love. I want to tell them there's hope. And you heard him say it. It's the same thing we want to do. 
but it's not going to be understood that way all the time. We've got to know that as sent people. But we keep going. So Paul started out, they wanted to worship him. Now it all happened in one sentence there, but you get, you'll see in a minute there were believers there. So it happened over probably a couple of days, maybe a week or whatever, by the time these Jews got there from Iconium and Antioch to Lystra. But they dragged him out of town after he'd been stoned. Here's what happened, Acts 14. But as the believers, there they are, a bunch of believers that had been established already, as they gathered around Paul, he got up and went back into town. Now that is a stud preacher. Okay, right there. Well, the next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby, And after preaching the good news in Derby, making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, where he'd been stoned, Iconium and Antioch, where they'd been run out of town where they strengthened the believers, they encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church with prayer and fasting. They turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they'd put their trust. It's important to note from this little paragraph that hardship and suffering are part of the lives of all Christians sent on mission. Look, I'm praying that God is going to give you an opportunity. Paul sent... Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the Holy Spirit to southern Turkey, or in those days, southern Galatia. That's where they were sent. You and I might be sent to eastern Montgomery, or western Prattville, or one of the suburbs of Millbrook, if there is such a thing. Okay, but the idea is God can send us anywhere he wants to send us if we're willing to be his witnesses, and if we're willing to do this, He's going to use us in spite of some of the hardships we face, and we need to just keep going. And if people resent that, that's part of the life for every Christian. Not, we don't need to think something strange is happening to us. 2 Timothy 3.11, Paul wrote this. Now, Timothy, you know, Timothy was his disciple. He said, you know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, why would Timothy have known all this? Because on Paul's second missionary journey, he had a different partner. He had a partner named Silas. He went back to Lystra. And that's where Timothy became a believer. Timothy grew up. That was his hometown. He may have been there watching when Paul was stoned and dragged out of town. At least his parents would have. And Paul said, Timothy, don't be worried about that if things get hard. And that's part of the Christian life. And it's an honor to stand for the Lord. Galatians 6, 9. So let's not get tired of doing what's good. Just the right time we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. I want to remind you again, Galatians 6, 9 was written to the people in Galatia. These people. The believers who were rejoicing left behind, who were still there in town where there would have been a lot of tension. Those people in Iconium and Lystra and Antioch. One last life application. We need to turn everything over to the care of the Lord. Wherever Paul and Barnabas went, laid their hands on some leaders, prayed for them, organized them, gave them as much training as they could, and they committed them to the Lord. Paul later wrote these words, don't worry about anything, and said pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. 
And then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So what if we start praying that God will use us? And what if we prayed? Some of you have been through this. You've, you've shared your faith, and you've done so with a loving heart and a kind attitude. And you got slapped around anyway. People made fun of you. Or they rejected you. You lost a friend. I want to encourage you, keep going. Keep going. Don't give up. By the way, I want you to know I'm praying for you. I am. I'm praying as I'm doing this. I pray that God will open doors for us wherever we go because we're doing this whole message on scent. And I pray for this myself. I was praying yesterday. Went for a walk. I was praying for this message, praying for you. Went for a walk in my neighborhood. Beautiful afternoon. Just praying about all this. Praying, Lord, if there are people that I need to meet, people, that, people in our congregation need to meet, would you bring them to us? As I was praying this, not making this up, a fellow had been working on somebody's house, uh, walked out to the sidewalk just as I was passing this house. He walks up and he says, hey, I know you. And I go, well, I hope so because I don't know you, okay? And uh, he said, yeah, you, uh, you came out to a construction site like 20 years ago and did a devotional for some of us that were working on that construction site. I went, I did remember going out there. I didn't remember him. And he said, do you still do that? I mean, would you ever come do that if I got people together and we got together? Would you come out and do a devotional for us? I go, yes, I would. And he goes, well, I'm glad to find you agreeing about that. I didn't tell him, well, I've been praying about it. So anyway, uh, but I should have. I should have said, I was praying about just this exact thing. Now, if you think, well, that only happens to John Schmidt, uh, be ready this week. I'm praying for you. I am. What if God brings somebody to you this week and you get to tell them about Jesus? What if there's an opportunity for you to give hope to the hopeless, to give encouragement to somebody who's so down, to tell somebody there's forgiveness of sins, they can get rid of all that guilt and shame? Will you be ready? I pray you will be because I believe God's sending us all somewhere. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you that we are sent ones. I thank you the book of Acts is a book of Acts of the apostles, Acts of the sent people. Lord, I pray that our lives this week, we will embrace this, that our eyes will be wide open. Somebody needs us to pray for them, we'll pray for them. Somebody needs us to comfort them, we'll comfort them. Somebody needs us to give encouragement, we'll do so. Lord Jesus, Send us wherever you want. I pray, Lord, you give us thick skin if people treat us poorly. You give us the ability to rejoice with people who find new life. And, oh, God, I pray that you'll give us courage so we won't be afraid. Give us the right words when the time comes and help us not be ashamed of you. You're, Lord, help us just have courage in the right words. We're counting on these things. In the name of Jesus. Amen.